Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. This morning's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 24. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 and 24. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another with love and good deeds. Would you open God's book, please, to John chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 16 in just a couple of minutes. Brother Eads did such a beautiful job leading us in the eating of the Lord's Supper. And he read a series of passages, and one of them was this one. And I'll meet you there in just a couple of minutes. When you eat the Lord's Supper, or I should say when you ate it today... What effect did it have on you? You ate it. What effect? The fact is, when we think about Jesus and we think about the cross and we think about being able to go to heaven, we rejoice over that. And maybe that's what I focus on is his death because that affords me the ability to go to heaven. But if you want to come to the place in your life as a Christian where the Lord's Supper means a great deal more to you and you're going to have to think about fire. The fire is kind of an interesting thing, and different substances react differently to fire. You put fire to paraffin wax, and it'll melt it. If you put it to shavings, it'll blaze. If you put it to steel, it will harden. And Jesus was meek and lowly in heart, and we love that about him. And he was the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him, and we love him for that. But Jesus also taught a great deal about hell. That's what this sermon is about today. It's about what Jesus had to say about hell. We've got to change the way that we view this. I mean hell. It's just so easy to think about hell as being the place to which Jesus... uh, Or God the Father sends people who are bad. If you're bad, you go to hell. The problem with that is that it's just not the correct picture. It's out of focus. The correct picture is the reality that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and 23. Our default destination because of our sin for all of us is hell. That's our default de- destination. First John chapter 1 and verse 8 says, Don't you be saying now, well, I, I, that's not a quote, that's a paraphrase. Don't you be saying now that, that you have no sin. Everybody says that is a liar. But sin is what separates us from God. It is sin that keeps us out of heaven. And Hosea 4 and verse 6 says that God is of purer eyes 
to be able to look upon sin. You're not going to get through the pearly gates with sin. You've got to do something about your sin. And so the default, again, the default destination, therefore, for us all is going to be hell. It isn't that God is going to pick out the bad people and say, I'm going to send you to hell. It's that people with sin, and that involves all of us, are destined for that place. Jesus came to say, you don't have to go. If I'm going to eat the Lord's Supper and my eyes get wet, oh, you can do this. You, you, you don't, just, don't you be just thinking about the beauties of heaven and that Jesus died on the cross, and I'm, think, I'm not minimizing those things. But you've got to remember where you came from. You've got to remember what it meant to be destined for hell, and that being a reality. And that Jesus came to... Am I right about this? Is this bad theology? Oh, no. No, I, I have it at a great source. I'm in John chapter 3 and verse 16. Now, you're familiar with this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And now you rejoice over that with me. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the next verse. It's the next verse that matters in this discussion. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You know why? Because she was already condemned. The reason he came wasn't to condemn the world. She was already condemned. For what purpose then? But that the world through him might be saved. A man doesn't drown because he refuses the rope that's thrown to him from the side of the boat. He drowns because he's in the water. It's the water that drowns him. And people... Yeah, I mean, I understand that, that this is, I understand the connections and all of that, but, but people don't go to hell because they reject Christ. They, they go to hell because of their sins. Jesus came to save them from their sins. And so here's the offer. Now, when you eat the Lord's Supper and you think like that, I'm telling you it'll, it'll mean something different. Now, the, the interesting thing about, about how that fire affects people differently is... is uh, that a lot of people leave Christ because of hell. I know that sounds, I know, I know just to hear me say it sounds cattywampus. It cannot be true. Why would people leave Jesus because of the reality of hell? Oh, but it's true. And I can tell you that today, this is quite a fad. And it goes like this, that it cannot be true that Jesus really is who he claims to be. He cannot be good and the Son of God and all the things that, that is said about him, if there is such a thing as an eternal place of suffering. If there is an eternal place of suffering called hell, then it cannot be true that there's a God. It can't be. And people are walking away from Jesus. And that, that's not, well, that's been true for a long time. And it's certainly true that people are doing it today. Now, follow some quotes just to get the feel for this. Albert Einstein believed in some sort of a God who revealed himself, as he would say, in an orderly harmony of the universe. But he didn't believe in the God of the Bible, for he said, quote, I cannot imagine a God who rewards and punishes the objects of his creation. Hmm, atheist. Why? Well, because the Bible teaches about hell. The sad irony to me about this is that people that stomp 
on the ground and say they can't believe in Jesus because what he says about heaven will go there and they're going to miss heaven. If this is logically offensive and people are willing to gamble their souls on their personal sense of morality about an afterlife that they've never ever seen and from which Jesus came and and was for all eternity. I know more about this morality. I know more about eternity than he does. Really? Do you really? I rather doubt that. Bertrand Russell, who was Britain's, I don't know, one one of the most famous agnostics, suggested that the reason he couldn't be a Christian was because Jesus believed in hell. Jehovah's Witnesses allege that the common or the concept of everlasting punishment is an unreasonable doctrine that contradicts the Bible. Seventh-day Adventists argue that the idea of eternal anguish and hell is just not biblical and that they figure that instead of eternal suffering, that it's just going to be annihilation. People just simply cease to exist. Wayne Jackson, who is a mentor of mine, now deceased. Wayne Jackson quoted F. Ligard Smith in the Pepperdine Lectureship in 1988 as arguing on this point that God will destroy the soul, not punish it, not dangle it, not torture it, but destroy it. And so people lose their faith over the fact that Jesus clearly taught about hell. And and I'm going to quote from him today a good bit, but isn't that ironic? Isn't that, that interesting? That we have this one life preserver thrown to us, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he went, let them hang him on a tree. They crucified him. And by his stripes we are healed, if we will accept it. C.S. Lewis said this, and I'm going to quote him because I think that this is helpful. In his sermon, Learning in Wartime, The Problem of Pain, rather, he says this. If he had his druthers, hell would be a doctrine he would willingly remove from Christianity. But he says, it has the full support of Scripture, and specifically of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom, and it has the support of reason. In other words, I don't like the doctrine of hell. I don't like the reality of hell, but I'm telling you, this is what Jesus says. All right, eight things. I can't spend much time on each for time's sake, but eight things that Jesus taught us about hell. And the first one is, is that it's a place of fire. I'm in Matthew chapter, or Mark rather, chapter 9, verse 42. And Jesus said, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell, into the fire. Now, wait a minute. These are the words of Jesus. It's Jesus, it's Jesus who said these things. It's Jesus. Who, who, who was it that uttered that there was a rich man who lifted up his eyes in torment and cried out to Abraham, said, Lazarus, who said those those awful words, the answer is Jesus. Who was it who said there's going to be a great day coming by and by and on that day, he's going to gather everybody together and he's going to divide the sheep from the goats and the the people on the left are going to go into everlasting destruction. Who said that awful thing? The answer is Jesus said it. And he said it here in Mark 9. And he said, it's better for you to cut it off 
than to enter into life maimed and, and do that, live, enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. And, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's, it's awful. You, it's better for you to enter into life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell. He's not talking about your little literal hand and feet. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But better to be lame than to enter into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, and etc. Matthew 5 and 22, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Rekha, empty-headed one, is what that means shall be in danger of the council of the Sanhedrin. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Do you mean it? Is it true? And the answer is that, that Jesus, in talking about this, said it's a place of fire. Now here's number two. It's a place of outer darkness. Of darkness. Here's Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and will sit down together with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now the contrast, all right, so there's heaven and here's hell. But the sons of the kingdom, that is the kingdom of Satan, will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Darkness. When I read about the plagues in Exodus 7 through 12, there was one that was darkness, and the Bible says it was so thick that you could reach out and touch it. I don't know what that means. I I just know that it says that it must have been awful dark. And what does it mean? What does it mean that in hell there is outer darkness? I would take that to mean that if you took a circle, drew a circle on a blackboard, and in the middle you put Jesus Christ, who is the light, that outer darkness would be the farthest extremity to which one might go, and you would be in outer darkness. Now the significance of that is that that we don't like the dark very much. And I tell you something else is that is that when you're sick. When you're really sick, darkness exacerbates that. Dark, it, your pain and suffering is worse in the dark, and you long for the dawn. Hell's outer darkness. That's what Jesus said. Now, it, it brings a lot of attention then to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 23. Go to the next slide for me. The city, this is heaven, had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Hell is far away from God. How is the farthest you've ever been away from God? And the answer is not very, not very. I mean, you you might have lived a wicked life. I'm not talking about that. I just mean that. Matthew 5 says, God causes his rain to fall on the evil and the good and his sun to shine on the just and the unjust. Even if I reject him, I'm still the recipient on this world of his blessings. Isn't that true? But I'm going to tell you something. People who go to hell are cut away from the light. There's darkness. Now here's number three. When Jesus talked about hell, he he talked about a place of horrific suffering. And I I want to... um, So many ways to approach this. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is is a concept that we cannot ponder very long before it just boggles our minds. You just, you can't, you can't focus on that very long. And yet it became sort of the, the benchmark description of hell because Jesus used it. 
over and over again. Matthew 13, 42, therefore as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Verse 48 says it'll be at the end of this age. The angels will come forth. They'll separate the wicked from the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Friend, how do you come in here without a wedding garment? And was speechless. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away. Cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 24, 51, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour that he's not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 29, Jesus said, and this is Jesus in every one of these quotes. For to everyone who has, more will be given. He will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even that he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. People in hell, Jesus taught us, will gnash their teeth and they will cry. Number four, Jesus taught us about hell and he used it as a threat. He posed it as a threat. I'm in Matthew chapter 23 now in verse 33. But incidentally, Parenting 101 teaches, teaches you that that uh, when you promise a particular punishment, if a behavior is continued and the behavior is continued and you don't do what you said, you, I'll spank you if you don't stop that, right? If you do that again, you're going to bed one more time and you no more swimming for the afternoon or whatever it happens to be. But parenting, good parenting teaches you that you don't lie. If you don't do what you said you would do, first place, you're going to teach your child to be a liar because that's what you are. But in the second place... What you're doing for the next time they disobey is to say, you don't have to do what I say. And if I tell you I'm going to punish you, nah, well, I won't do it. Except sometimes when I'm really agitated, then I will follow through with it. And how confusing is that? But here's what Jesus gave as a threat. Matthew 23, 33. Serpents. You remember Matthew 23? He's talking to the Jewish leaders who are away from Christ. They're rebelling against Christ. They don't want anything to do with it. Matthew chapter 23, he gives seven different times where he would refer to this crowd and he would, he would call them scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And in 33, he says, serpents, those, that's snakes, you know. I'm sure they didn't take to that very well. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? What's that? Here's what's going to happen to you. I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen to you, he says. You're going to hell. Jesus positioned this post as a threat. Number five, as prophecy. And so we get to Matthew chapter 25, and you're familiar with this. Matthew 25 and verse 31 starts, leave the slide there, please. But in 31, he pictures, here's the judgment day, and before him will be gathered all nations, and he's going to separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. You drop down to verse 34, to those on his right, he will say, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to this old preacher. The first words that I hope to hear Jesus say to me aren't, 
Hello, Glenn, how are things going? I want him to say, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But when you get down to verse 41, this is what you have. And, and it says, he will also say to those, who will say, the son of man comes in his glory. The He's talking about himself. Jesus is the one who will be our judge. Jesus is the one who taught us about hell, and he's the one who's going to be our judge. And he says about those people on the left, then he will also say to those on the left, it's a prophecy, and he's the he. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 10, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's him. It's him. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I'm telling you, Jesus believed in hell, and he taught it here about himself and what he would say, this hasn't happened yet. He's talking about the judgment day, and one day it will happen, and he's talking about what he's going to say to the people on the right and the people on the left. And the difference is going to be those who followed Jesus Christ. Number six, he used it as a motivation for resisting sin. Now, in in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, and this is perhaps familiar to you too, if, if your hand offends you, and we, I read some of this a while ago. Cut it off. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm real fond of my hands. These, uh, these are tools. And my hands, thank the Lord, have been faithful to me all my life. I don't often think of them, but I use them every day, over and over again. I have other tools, you know. I have some tools that cost me a lot of money. And so I don't just lay them around anywhere, you know. I, I, I lock them up when I'm not using them because those tools are very valuable to me. But I can tell you this, nothing com- compares to this hand right here. I'm right-handed. I'm profoundly right-handed. The Lord gave me two, but I just have this as a spare. This is the one. This is the one that I love. And if I had to lose it, or if, or if my hand was in a threat of being lost, how much you reckon I might be willing to give to save it? Would you give everything you have to save your hand? If you could save it and not lose it, I might. I might give all of my material possessions to save this hand that I often take for granted. Hey, there it is. It's always screwed on right there. That's where it is. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about your literal hand. He's talking about this as an analogy, an illustration of the point. If your hand causes you to sin... See, because here's the point, is that sometimes in my life, my sin becomes very important to me. Everybody in this room is tempted. That's what James says. If men's tempted, James 1, 13, and all. We're tempted to sin. Everybody is. What's different is that we're tempted of our own lust and entice. That is to say that what tempts you may not tempt me. And I suppose there's one thing, and I don't know about you, but there's one thing in your life that perhaps tempts you to sin the most. More, more than the other things, the one thing. What would you say that is? What is the hardest thing for you? Well, you probably know what that is. And Jesus says, get rid of that. Get rid of it. What would you say? You don't understand, Lord. That, that's very precious to me. That thing that, that, that tempts me the most, I, I, that's my sin. But I, I, it's the most important to me. It's very but part of me. It's part of my life now. Is it as important as your hand? Is it, is it that important? How important is your hand? Because everybody in this room can get that. We understand that. Cut it off. Why? You can't say that, Lord. Why would you say that? That's very hard. Well, it's better for you to enter into life maimed 
than, than to go to hell. You, you don't want to do that. The fire that shall never be quenched. It's used then as a motivation for resisting sin. Here's number seven. We have eight. It's a place that's populated by those who rejected him. You, you have one hope. That's why, that's why the New Testament says that, that he's the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father except by him. He's the only way. It's people rejected him. People still do. But in Matthew chapter 22, here, here's the description. And it's rather broad. He's talking about the, the Jewish nation who received the, the teaching of Jesus Christ. They received the gospel first. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost was preached to the Jews. And then it was preached, the gospel preached to the Gentiles, to all the world. And here's a, here's a parable about that, that a king had a son. And it was time for the boy's wedding. And, and so he had invited, the king had invited lots of people to come to the wedding. And when the, the time came, the king sent out his service to say, it's time, the feasting is ready. Come on, come on, let's come to the wedding, let's have a big feast. He spent a lot of money, you know how weddings are. He he'd invested so much of himself, and what people did about the, his son's wedding would reflect on what they thought of him. And, and they made excuses. And some of them killed the messengers that came to tell him about the wedding. You know what it all means, of course. It's about the Jews and it's about the prophets that God sent to the Jews to tell them to repent and to live righteous lives. And they killed those prophets. They killed them. And the king says, you, you go to say to his servants, his armies, you go and destroy those people. And they did. And he said, now you, you go out to just everybody, anybody who will come and you have them come to the, to the, the, the feast of the king's son's wedding. And they did. And you, the house was full of guests. But you've got to appreciate that coming into the room, when you're going to be at this feast, you're given a garment. It's obligatory. It is, it is, it is just what is done. And you don't, you don't reject the garment because this is from the king. And it's, what is, it's how you do this. And one man didn't. The king went and found him. And, and he, he must have just really stuck out. Why didn't you put on the garment? And it represents people who, I want the heaven that Jesus brings, but I don't want to live the life that Jesus teaches. I, don't, I, look, I want a distance. I'm going to create a Yeah, I'm a Christian. You're part of the church? Not really. We, we say, sometimes people say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really a practicing. You know what? You don't have the garment. You ain't got the garment on. The king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When I think about hell, I think about not a lot of things, but one is that the worst people that this world has been able to conjure up, the vilest, most violent, most selfish, most awful people are going to be in hell. And if you go, and I, or I go, we're going to reside with them forever and ever and ever. Which leads me to the last one. Here's number eight. He spoke of hell as a forever place. And so Matthew chapter 25 is where this is discussed. And the Bible says that those on his, those on his right hand, he said, Come, come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he addresses those on the left hand, depart from me. But you get to the bottom of the chapter... And, and the, the people on the left, the damned ones, he said, they shall go into everlasting destruction, but the righteous into life eternal. And perhaps you know this, but the Greek word for everlasting and for eternal are identical. 
the translators just, I think, they, they did it just to, to make it a little easier to read or something, but it's the same word. The duration of heaven, and you're looking forward to that, and so am I, is eternal. But this, Jesus said that the duration of hell is identical to that. And it's where the worm dies not, and the fire is not quenched. What does that mean? Gehenna. Gehenna was on the south side of Jerusalem, and it was the, the garbage dump. And, and there was a fire always burning there. Originally, it was where Molech was, and the, those children were sacrificed in the abdomen of that false god, that idol. And then it turned to the garbage. So a, lot, a lot of animals, you had dead animals, you'd toss them out there. And just the regular rubbish you'd be put out there for burning. And sometimes criminals were executed out there and their bodies would be burned. But it was perpetual. It just didn't go out. And for that reason, Jesus uses it as sort of an analogy to get them to understand that this place called hell is going to be like that. And the worm is, um, is, a, is a maggot. That, that feeds on dead flesh. I, that's just what it is. And, and uh, the significance is that... Now, why doesn't it die? Because it will always have death on which to feed. It's because hell is an eternal place. It's a forever place. Where we started today was this. I've got to change the way that I look at hell. It cannot be that I look at it and I say, hell is the place to which God sends people when they're really bad. It's wrong. It's the wrong picture. It's the wrong way to view it. it. What's reality is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And our destination, because of that, our default destination, because sin is what separates us from God, is, is hell. It's, it's that that's where I was destined. And until you grasp that, you're never going to be able to eat the Lord's Supper the right way. You never will be gripped by it. You never will. You've you got to realize that, that that was my destiny. That's where I was going. You, you say, I'm obeying the gospel because I want to be saved. What does that mean? It means I'm lost. What does that mean? Hell is what it means. It means hell. Jesus came. As the life preserver, I'm drowning. I guess the next time I go under is the last. I don't think I can get, I, I'm going to, I'll die here. I will die here. Jesus is your life preserver. And what's thrown to you, you have to choose. And based on that choice, you will live or die. Now you got it. Now that's it. That's it. And for most people in this, this room, and, and I, don't, I don't know everybody in this room, you've obeyed the gospel. Praise God. And you took hold of that life preserver, and he saved you from your sins, and now you anticipate heaven. So you say, well, Glenn, if that's true, if that's true about most people in this room, and, and maybe all, I don't know, but if it's true about most people in this room, why do we need this sermon? And the answer is because you'll never appreciate what you've got until you grasp this. It's because this is what Jesus taught. And I know that a lot of people walk away from him. They do, based on what I preached this morning. People are walking away sometimes and becoming atheists. I just can't believe that 
that a loving God would allow people to be in a, an internal place of suffering. But he's a holy God who loves you. He cannot cohabitate with your sin, and he won't. He cannot. So he sent us his son to die on a cross so that we could be saved. Did you know that Jesus talks more about hell than heaven in the scriptures? Ever thought about that? Let that soak in. It's for our benefit, you know. It's so that, so that we could grasp this concept. And when we ate the Lord's Supper, we wouldn't love him a little bit. We, we, would, we would love him a lot. It was the very depth of our souls. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. How'd that happen? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who needs to obey the gospel. Okay, well, there you are. It's, it's, a, it's the teaching of Jesus. People who reject Jesus over this will be lost eternally in hell. The fact is that we need to hear it because it's the truth. And I, I would suggest that nobody knows more about eternity than Jesus Christ. He knows all about it. And tell you, somebody else who believes this sermon is Satan himself. He believes it. He'll lie to you about it, but he believes it. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Now is a great time to obey the gospel. Repent of your sins and confess him and be baptized in response to the Jesus who taught these things that we've been talking about, but also said, he that believes in this baptized shall be saved. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. And if you need to be restored today, I, I was a Christian, but I've, I've wandered away. I, I, I need to be restored. I need to come back. I need to make things right. We'll be so happy to pray with you and for you, and you can let that be known to the church and to the Lord and to hell itself. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.